Well, I feel like the Lord's here. A real sense of the presence of the Holy Spirit this morning. Just exalting Christ and wanting to minister to us. And may he continue to do that as we look at God's word together. Um, one of my favorite TV shows growing up was the Beverly Hillbillies. It's an unlikely sitcom about the Clampets, a family of mountain men from Arkansas who hit it rich in the world's most fortunate hunting accident. As the story goes, Jed, who was the family patriarch, was out trying to bag lunch one day. He missed his quarry, but instead hit oil. And as the opening song says, and up from the ground come a bubbling crude. Oil, that is, black gold, Texas tea. And thus was born the world's most unlikely millionaires. The whole clan moved to California. They bought a huge mansion. But the interesting thing was their wealth didn't change them one iota. They ate the same old vittles. They wore the same old worn-out clothes. And they drove the same old Oldsmobile, 40-year-old truck, a beater of a thing. And I can't help thinking, or at least asking the question, are we like the Clampets as far as the Holy Spirit is concerned? He wants to do so much, and he is able to do so much, but so often we limit him to doing so little. It was Martin Lloyd-Jones who perhaps was the best Bible teacher of the 20th century who said this, one of the greatest snares of the Christian life is to drift away from the person of the Holy Spirit and live off truths about him. That's profound. Because the Holy Spirit isn't a doctrine. Well, it is a doctrine. But he's also a person. And someone that wants to engage with us and make a difference in our lives. And so this morning I want us to look at this subject of the Holy Spirit in, as we consider this third core commitment of your fellowship. The title of my message is that core commitment, and it's the baptism, gifts, and fruits of the Holy Spirit. There are three simple points I want to make, and the first is this. I want us to look at a theological overview, a theological overview. Now, we initially meet the Holy Spirit in the first verse of the first chapter of the first book in the first half of the Bible. So that tells you how primary he is. And this is what it says. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering 
over the face of the waters. That single verse tells us so much, actually, about the Holy Spirit. It tells us that the Holy Spirit is divine. Because God and Spirit are placed side by side. God speaks, but the Spirit acts. And he is the one who brings about cosmos from chaos. It tells us that the Holy Spirit is a person. He waits. He listens. And then he acts. That's why in the New Testament we are told we can either welcome him or shun him. We can either quench him and grieve him or else open our hearts to him and accept him. It tells us that the Holy Spirit is not independent. He hovers in readiness waiting for the word of God. The Spirit and the Word always go together. They are never at loggerheads. The Word gives direction to the Spirit and the Spirit gives dynamism to the Word. It tells us that the Holy Spirit is humble because he doesn't do his own will. He's waiting there, ready to hear what God says so that he can execute God's will. And it also tells us that the Holy Spirit is strong. Because no sooner does God speak than the Holy Spirit acts and brings things about. The whole universe in six powerful days of creative activity. Five truths about the Holy Spirit from his initial mention right there in the first verse of the first book of the first part of the Bible. After that, we meet the Holy Spirit throughout the pages of the Old Testament. And he comes on the people of Israel, enabling them to do what God had called them to do. So, for example, we read that he comes on Joseph and enables him to interpret dreams. He anoints the 70 elders to be able to govern Israel well. He enables Bezalel and Aholiab to become expert craftsmen. By the way, never assume that the Holy Spirit simply anoints for spiritual things. He can anoint for craftsmanship. He can anoint for business. He can anoint for commerce. He can anoint for science. He can anoint for research. He can help us become the very best carpenters and the very best metal workers and the very best teachers that we can be. He comes on judges like Samson to be able to do military exploits, to be able to vanquish Israel's enemies and bring freedom. He falls on kings like David to rule justly, and he raises up prophets. For example, Ezekiel, to be able to speak God's word and encourage God's people. But in the Old Testament, his anointing was selective, sparing, and occasional. He comes on certain people at certain times to produce certain tasks. 
someone's worked out that in the 1,500-year span of Old Testament history, there's only about 150 people upon whom the Holy Spirit comes. That's about one every 10 years. So that's hardly a river. What's more, most of them were men. I could only count four women, and there's just two children. Now, in that sort of a spiritual desert, the prophet Joel makes a wonderful promise. Why don't we put that slide up? In fact, why is this coming up? Another next slide, please. There we are. Why don't we say this together? And it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. Now here is good news. The Holy Spirit isn't going to be measured out anymore. He's going to be poured out. Not a little, but a lot. It's not going to be selective. It's going to be universal. Not just on a few people. But he says he's going to anoint men and women. There's no bias of gender. He's going to anoint the young and the old. No bias of age. He's going to anoint men's servants and female servants. No bias of social station or economic status. I wonder, just put your hand up if you belong to any one of these categories. Men and women, young and old, servant or master. Yeah, that's all of us. But there's a bit of bad news here. Because Joel says it's going to happen afterwards. Or in the last days. In the distant future. Okay, forward fast about 500 years. John the Baptist is preaching in the, beside the river Jordan. And he says this. There's coming somebody after me who's mightier than I. I'm not worthy to unfasten his sandals. He's going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Now, John picks up what Joel said, but he changes a couple of details. First of all, he changes the imagery. Joel said poured out. John said baptized in. Same truth, different imagery. There's going to be a lot of the Holy Spirit. And the other thing he changes is the timing. Joel said it's going to happen afterwards, in the last days, distant future. But John says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's going to happen very soon. Okay, forward fast three years now from John to Jesus. Maybe, Larry, could I have that handheld and maybe can we shut this down? We've got a bit of static going on. Thank you so much. Okay, there we go. So forward fast. There we go. 
forward fast <laughs> three years now to Jesus. And Jesus is speaking to his disciples before ascending back to heaven. And he says this to them. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Same language of John, same truth as Joel. But Jesus changes the time again. And he says, it's going to happen not many days from now. It's gone from soon to imminent. Forward fast 10 more days, the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit falls on the 120 who are gathered in the upper room. And moments later, we read they were filled with the Spirit. They go out onto the streets. And then Peter tells the crowd, this is that which was promised by the prophet Joel. Joel's prophecy has been fulfilled. The coming of the Spirit, the pouring out of the Spirit, is the sign of the Messianic age. And it's the sign that the kingdom of God is being established on earth. And today, you and I are living in the good of that. Being filled with the Holy Spirit or baptized in the Holy Spirit is one of the normal New Testament elements of a, of a normal Christian experience. Because when the men of Jerusalem ask Peter, how do we come to God? He says, repent and be baptized and you shall receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. Two commands and a promise. Repent, be baptized and you shall receive. The Holy Spirit, blood, water, and spirit. The three witnesses that John speaks about in his letter. Well, that's the theological overview. Now, how do we know that we've received the Holy Spirit? Let's look at the clear evidence. Now, the first evidence that we've received the Holy Spirit in our lives is that he changes us. I remember, I think Val told me that she had heard a missionary from Africa speaking one time, and, and he said, you always know when a villager has given their lives to Christ and the Holy Spirit's come to live in them, because the first thing they do is they clean out their hut and get rid of all their idols. He brings change. In fact, when the Holy Spirit came to live in my life, when I was just 14 years old, he cleaned my hut up. Instantly, I stopped swearing and blaspheming. In fact, a Christian friend of mine at school told me later that the change he observed in me was one of the most dramatic he'd ever witnessed. Now, I'm gonna, we're not going to expand on that. Other than the fact that to say that when the Spirit comes, he brings change. But it's not just negative change. It's not just things we stop doing. He brings positive change too. For example, we start to read our Bible. We start to pray. We start to fellowship with other Christians. In fact... 
I couldn't get enough of going to church. I went three times on Sunday and twice during the week. Any time there was a meeting, I wanted to be there. That would never have happened before I became a follower of Jesus and the Holy Spirit came to live within me. He changed my values and he changed my priorities. He brings change. But you know, it's not just our outward conduct he changes. It's also our inner character. And he changes us so that we look like Jesus. Paul tells the Galatians that there are nine fruits of his presence in an individual's lives that they can expect to see growing. And for that to happen without any effort, but to happen just supernaturally natural. Let me just remind you what those fruits are and give a little definition. He said the first fruit is love. That means accepting others just as they are, even though they might be different or possibly opposed to me. That's love. Then he says there's going to be joy. Now joy is knowing deep fulfillment in my heart whatever circumstances I'm in. Joy is not happiness. Happiness depends on happenings. But joy depends on Jesus. Peace. That's knowing or resting in God's presence, even in the storms of life. Years ago, uh, a newspaper in Chicago ran a competition. And uh, the competition was they invited people from all over, it may have been all over the country, to submit pictures that they had drawn. Uh, and the subject was peace. And as you can imagine, there were many aspects of peace. There was a baby asleep in its mother's arms. There was a, um, an English country scene with cows in a meadow. There was a pristine snowscape without a footprint on top of the freshly fallen snow. But the winning entry was a picture of a bird in a tree on a bough singing its head off in the context of a thunderstorm. There was lightning and dark clouds. And the caption underneath the picture was peace, a song in the storm. That's a fruit of the Spirit. Patience. Waiting for God's answers in God's time. Kindness. Doing good to others, whether they deserve it or not. Goodness. J.B. Phillips says this is generosity of heart and the ability to bless others just because. Faithfulness. Remaining steadfast when times get tough. Gentleness. Not losing my temper even when I'm pushed to the limit. And self-control. Not being mastered by any of my base desires through his strength. 
So when the Holy Spirit comes into us, we change. We begin to act differently and we begin to look differently. We begin to look just like Jesus. But you know, there's another change that he brings. Not only does he uh, change our conduct, change our character, but he also gives us gifts. Now, in the New Testament, there's many lists of gifts. There's three very important ones. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and Ephesians 4. It, it, it's the subject of a whole conference, what those gifts are. So I'm not going to attempt to go into all of them. I just want to pull out one list and look at it this morning, because it's particularly pertinent. And that's the list found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Let me read it to you. To each of us is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Notice the word to each of us. Everybody who put their hand up a few minutes ago, this is you. To one is given through the Spirit a word of wisdom. To another the word of knowledge. To another faith. To another gifts of healing, to another working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another tongues, to another the interpretation of the tongues. Nine gifts. Here's an easy way of remembering them. There's three gifts of power, three gifts of speech, and three gifts of revelation. Let me just mention what they are. Let's do the three power gifts first of all. Healing, miracles, and faith. Now, we all know what healing is. It's when God uses somebody else to pray for a sick person and they recover either immediately or shortly afterwards. It's, it's Jesus saying to Bartimaeus, receive your sight and the blind man's eyes were opened. And that happens today. Just maybe six weeks ago, Val and I were in Ontario um, preaching in, in the church in Thunder Bay, a sister church to this one. And we were making our way out to return home straight after the service. And a young woman came and stopped me. And she said, I just need to tell you something. She said... Um, about a month ago, my, my boyfriend, who's here this morning, had an industrial ac accident. Something fell on his eye and blinded him in one of his eyes. And he hasn't been able to see since. All, all he can see is like a, a zzz of, of light. You know, that sort of like lines on a television when it, it, you can't make contact. She said, but this morning, when people were praying for one another, God touched him and opened his eye, and now he can see perfectly. That's the gift of healing. No big name, no shouting, just the presence of the Holy Spirit ministering healing, just like Jesus did. Healing, miracles. This is when God does something that's naturally impossible either in my life or through me in somebody else's life. You know, Jesus multiplying the, the five loaves and the, 
and the two fish. That's a great example. I, I'm going to resist the opportunity to preach all these, otherwise we'll be here all three in the afternoon. I, this is just an overview. Faith. This is when God gives me a gift of faith to be able to believe him for more than what I normally could. Here's, here's an example. Some years ago, 2007 was it? You were in the downtown classroom. It started in 2007. And uh, um, we had $20,000 as a budget. Well, by the time we jumped through all the hoops that the city put on us, the final bill for bringing that about was $107,000. We didn't have that. But God gave us a gift. In fact, it, it, it was almost despite where we were at. And as we asked him, money started to come in. It came in from businesses. It came in from other churches. It came in from people overseas who'd never visited Winnipeg before. And by the time the final lick of paint was put on there and the doors were opened, every bill had been paid and God had provided for his people. And then Val opened the doors to newcomer children from war-torn backgrounds. Some couldn't read, some couldn't write, some couldn't really speak English very well and God provided for them one time um, one of the kids said Mrs. Micklefield I've, I've got tummy ache and she realized this kid was hungry and she didn't have anything to give him so she said Lord would you provide not two hours later a lady came to the classroom carrying a huge basket full of eggs. And she said, you know, I've got an egg business. We normally sell out, but this morning I've got three dozen left. I've hard-boiled them and wondered if the kids could use them for art projects, sort of painting faces on them and colouring them, you know. She said, oh, I think, I think we can use them. Within minutes, each of those kids had had at least two of those eggs. And one little boy said, Mrs. Micklefield, I took three. And do you know what? That never stopped. Provision of food never stopped for the five years that classroom was open. There was a gift of faith to believe God for much, much more. It was both a gift of faith and miraculous provision. It's one of the gifts of the Spirit. There are three speech gifts. Prophecy, tongues and interpretation. Prophecy is when we deliver a message in the native language of the listeners for their edification, excitation, or comfort. Tongues is a supernatural ability to pray directly to God without having to go through my mind or think up the words. And then interpretation is when one of those tongues is spoken out, particularly in a worship service. Somebody can interpret what it means. And three revelatory gifts. The word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, and the discerning of spirits. The word of wisdom is having a little piece of God's wisdom 
for a particular situation that brings resolution. So, for instance, when the enemies of Jesus backed him into a corner and said, this woman's been caught in adultery, what shall we do? Stoner or releaser, whichever he says is, they're going to use against him. And he has a word of wisdom. And he says, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. And that resolved it right there. A word of knowledge. A similar gift, except this time it's having a little fragment of supernatural, supernaturally given knowledge about a situation. So Jesus is sitting with the woman at the well and he says, go and call your husband. And she said, I don't have a husband. And he said, that's right, you have five husbands and the man you're with now is not your husband. He didn't know that naturally. He'd only just met the woman. But God gave him a word of knowledge. By the way, I used to think for years that when Jesus said to that woman, you have had five husbands, he was going like this. I don't think he was. I think he could feel her pain. That woman had been rejected five times. Married and rejected, married and rejected, married and rejected. And he's saying, you've had five husbands. And even the guy you're with now won't commit himself to you. He got in touch with her pain. And then the discerning of spirits. That's the ability to see this in the spiritual realm what's really happening in natural situations. So, for example, Jesus saw this woman bent double. But instead of praying healing, he rebuked a spirit of infirmity. He saw behind the facts to the reality of what was going on. Now let me say, these gifts are for today. Nowhere in the scripture does it say that they stopped when the last apostle died. Or when the Bible was given to the church. It does say one day they will cease, but that's when the perfect comes, when Jesus returns. And therefore every one of us, because every one of us has the Holy Spirit if we're a follower of Jesus. Now let me say a word about tongues specifically. Because this has had more exposure recently and is one of the more controversial gifts of the Holy Spirit. Let me just say tongues is the most common gift of the Holy Spirit. And when you read the record of him coming in the book of Acts, you see that the, Holy, that the, the gift of tongues happens time after time after time. For example, in Acts chapter 2, the disciples are waiting. It says that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues as the Spirit gave them the ability. Acts chapter 10, Peter's preaching in Cornelius' house. And the scripture says, The Holy Spirit fell on all who were listening to the message, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. There it is again. And then Acts 19 in Ephesus, we read, Paul laid his hands on them and the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There it is again. 
Tongues is the most common gift, but tongues is the most personal gift. You see, all the others are for other people. Tongues is just for you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 14, Paul says, When we speak in tongues, our spirit is praying. Not our mind, our spirit. Isn't that a neat thing, eh? Have you ever been in that situation where you're lost for words? You know, you, you want to say something, but you don't know quite what to say. Or what you do say never really represents what's going on in your heart. When you put that in the area of prayer, you don't have to think what to say. God can give you a supernatural language you haven't learned, you don't understand. But it's given so that your spirit can pray or praise God directly without having to go through your mind. And the bonus is, 1 Corinthians 14, 4, that when we do that, we are strengthened ourselves. That's why Paul says, I speak in tongues more than you all. You know, having, having the care of all these churches that are bickering and arguing, he said, I use my gift of tongues an awful lot. And he said, I would that all of you speak in tongues. And I wonder this morning, do you speak in tongues? Because it's a gift God wants to give you. And it's as simple as that. Purely so that you can talk to him without having to work at thinking up what to say. So that's a theological overview. That's clear evidence. And now, finally, a practical application. How can we be filled with the Spirit? How can we move forward in this area? How can we not be like Jed Clampett was with his money with the Holy Spirit? Well, in John chapter 7, there's a, 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 a very interesting passage of Scripture. Jesus is at the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, just press pause for a minute. The Feast of Tabernacles, the most joy-filled of all the three festivals that Jewish men used to attend in Jerusalem. Choirs would be in the streets, orchestras would be playing in the evening, and the whole city was illuminated with huge candelabras that stood in the temple. People would sing and dance and eat and live in, in temporary booths made out of leaves. It was a bit like a camp meeting, except it was inside the city. And the Jews had a saying, Get in shape for tabernacles or you might not survive it. Because they were singing and dancing long into the night. Having said that, there was also a tinge of disappointment in it. Because every day for seven days there was a, 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 a festival, a, a, a ceremony that took place in the festival. The high priest would come out of the temple and he'd be carrying a uh, a golden jug, and he'd process through the streets. And people would know what was going to happen, so they'd follow him. And he went to the pool of Siloam, and he dipped his jug in it. His assistant read from Isaiah, With joy will I draw water from the wells of salvation. 
And then he processed back through the streets of Jerusalem and up the stairs into the temple and he went to the altar. And his, this time his assistant started to read Ezekiel 47 about the river of God. And as he poured out his water from his jug, they believed that one day at Tabernacles, God's power would touch that water and it would become Ezekiel's river. But it never happened. And then John tells us, on the last day, on the great day, the climactic day, the last chance day of that happening, it never happened again. And so it says, Jesus called out with a loud voice. There's urgency in this message. If anybody is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Jesus was saying, Ezekiel's river isn't going to flow from this altar. It's going to flow from men's hearts. And John adds, this he spoke of the Holy Spirit. So we learn three things about receiving the Holy Spirit, receiving more of the Holy Spirit, or receiving all that he wants to give us. Number one, Jesus said, if anybody is thirsty, we have to be thirsty. And by that I mean, we have to know there's more of him that I don't have. That's simply being thirsty. This word thirsty here is a strong word. It means to passionately long for, to be in desperate need of, to desire with all of my heart. It's an echo of Psalm 42.1. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs or thirsts after you, my God. My soul is thirsty for God, for the living God. A hunter once told me that when a deer gets thirsty, you can hear it's panting all over the forest. And then it says, if anybody is thirsty, let him come to me. We come, that's number two. We aren't passive about it, we are active. We come to him. When that deer gets a smell of water, it makes a beeline for it. And nothing's going to get in its way. No bush, no undergrowth, no obstacle, no person. It'll just make a beeline for that water until it gets what it's looking for. You know, I'm sure we've all heard of Smith Wigglesworth, that great man who had a healing ministry in, in England in the um, first part of the 20th century. And uh, it wasn't always like that. He started off in a very weak way. In fact, Wigglesworth would stand up to preach and run out of words and his wife had to come up and finish his sermon. And the power of God was absent from his meetings. And he longed that that wouldn't be the case. In other words, he was thirsty. And then he heard that in Alexander's body's Anglican church in the north of England, in a little place called Monk's Wearmouth, the Holy Spirit had begun to fall. And so he came. He went there. In fact, he was a nuisance. He, he sat in a meeting rather like this. Body would be preaching about the Holy Spirit. And he'd jump up and say, I want that. I'm here for that. Will you pray for me? Is it time now? 
And eventually they had to boot him out. And the vicar's wife, Mary, took him to the vicarage and laid hands on him and received the Holy Spirit. And the rest is history. It began one of the most amazing evangelistic healing ministries on record. But the thing was, he went there. You know, when the Holy Spirit was poured out in Toronto, there were so many Brits that were longing to meet God. British Airways couldn't keep up with the demand and they had to put extra 747s on to take them over there. In fact, they called it the revival run. Because people were thirsty and they were coming to meet with God. And then finally, Jesus said, if anybody's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Let him receive. Let him put himself in a place where he is or she is actively engaging to receive from God. That's what drinking means. And I wonder this morning if anybody here is thirsty. Then come and drink. Yes, sir. And me. I want more of God. I know that what we have now is is not everything that God has. There's no more of the river to flow. But we can go deeper in the river that is flowing. And some of us are still on the riverbank. Hey, this morning, why not dive in? Some of us are content with ankle depth or knee depth. We're in control. Of nothing too out of the, you know... We come from good evangelical stock. And others are in a little bit deeper. And others are in over their head. And if you want more, we want to pray for you this morning. Don't let this be just words on a page. The baptism, fruit and gifts of the Holy Spirit. But something alive in our lives. Val, I know, why don't you come and lead us and we're going to we're going to sing a song about the Holy Spirit and invite him to come and meet with us. I'll just help my wife up these steps. Why don't we stand together? If you want to receive more, want to engage with the Holy Spirit, and you're comfortable in this, just come on down to the front as we sing this, and then we'll, we'll pray for you, and we'll ask the Lord to minister to you. God bless you. Hey, we're a thirsty crowd. Come on, you just come.